Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Sidekick Josh is with with me, looking resplendent in his Soho House style office. And rumour has it you're going to the real Soho House this very week, Josh. That is entirely true. I feel it's the sort of place you would hang out regularly, Boyd, with with all your media types hanging out in the the various different houses. Is Soho House... What, the most frequented house you, you, you visit? Yeah, although I haven't been there for quite a while, but um, uh, I did splurge loads of money on... This is this is ludicrously... Um, I think I've said this before on, on the... Oh, hold on, I'm getting all these emails now. So let me let me just try and get rid of my emails. Hold on, it's going to make interrupt it, isn't it, with noise. Um, how do I quit? I don't even know how to quit from my work email. That's the only problem. <laughs> um, hold on. Let's see if that works. Anyway... Um, yes, I, uh, you know, in the, in the down period, um, when, um, so house wasn't open. So, um, and you, I was still paying my membership. Um, in the end you could, you could pay for either, you could kind of use that money to accrue loads of money, pay either for hospitality at Soho house or, um, loads of Soho house household things, which I bought loads of. So I was kind of forced to buy loads of Soho house stuff. Anyway, let's cut all this stuff out because we've got a splendid guest to discuss our, um, Disappointing result against Liverpool, it's fair to say. Trevor Harris, welcome, Trevor. Commentator extraordinaire. Thank you, Boyd. I'm I'm fine. I'm a bit concerned because the last time I was on, we got thumped 5 0 by Manchester City. Oh, really? To to suspect that you only have me on to just continue my suffering for another couple of days after a hammering. Yeah, Um, pro rata, we're going to have to wait for a 3-0 defeat uh, (laughs) the next time you come on, Trev. Have you got one lined up? Do you think we've got a 3-0 defeat, maybe Old Trafford? I'm sure it's going to happen. Last time you were on, I I aired the idea that Arsenal to finish in the top 10 at 1.6 was a a good investment. And and you, you put me off going 
harder on it, let's say. But um, even you now must be more optimistic than you were after the City defeat. Um, of course. Um, I was probably just getting sucked into the mire of depression at that, at that time. But what I would say... Uh, I think the three teams that are first, second and third at the moment, so namely, um, obviously, City, Liverpool and Chelsea in whatever order, they are by a distance, in my view, the best three teams in the Premier League. I don't think there's that much between a lot of the rest. You can include Arsenal along with maybe Tottenham, Manchester United obviously have huge problems, new manager about to come in, uh, West Ham and, and a few others. So, yeah, OK, I, I'm prepared to accept we're almost certainly going to finish top 10. But that's not really the achievement that we're all looking for, is it? We need to we need to get that fourth spot. That should be the aim. There shouldn't be any other ambition this season, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, but I guess I think before the season, though, if I just said to you, you know, top six, I mean, fifth, sixth, we're fifth at the moment, despite losing that. We're in the weird, the weird thing for me is, oh, we're fifth at the moment. That's the sound of my phone falling down. Um, and... We've got minus four goal difference. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? It's quite rare to be to do to be doing fairly well in the league and have such a terrible goal difference. Um, the only team, in fact, in our vicinity who's got worse goal difference than us is Tottenham, a couple of places below us, with minus six. They have a similar. It's quite interesting that Arsenal Spurs have a similarly difficult time scoring goals from open play right now, despite you might say having really good, in theory, really good attacking players. Um, and I agree with you. I agree with you to the extent that you've got that top three that are in their own little competition. But the, the interesting thing about this season, which could be, could be a bit of a classic, really, because you've got you've then got West Ham, Arsenal, Wolves in sixth, Tottenham, Man U, and the, and the collapse of Man U has been the real um, the catalyst for all this, isn't it? Really, Brighton, all of these teams, Leicester down in twelfth. We're all vying for the for that fourth place, aren't we? I mean, unless unless Man United have a kind of miraculous turnaround, you know, with with whoever's going to take over as their as their um, uh, interim interim manager, which I find remarkable in itself, it's kind of wide open, isn't it? The competition for fourth. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a bum fight, but that's what I'm saying. You know, as an Arsenal fan, there is no reason why we can't finish fourth. We are at least, in my view, at least as good as any other team in the league bar the top three at the moment. But my my problem with uh, with the game at the weekend was not that we lost because Liverpool deserve to win the game and they're a better team than us generally. There's no question. I just, after a half-decent first half, okay, we, we let in a, a bit of a poor goal, I think, right near half-time. But we were in the game and then, you know, we commit uh, the usual defensive howler early in the second half and that was effectively it. I was kind of encouraged a little bit by the first 45 minutes and then the second half was mm. a real disappointment, I thought. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's talk about the the um, the first goal and the, and the start of the game and the whole, the whole thing has been a heated debate, I would say, Josh, about the whole, the, the extent to which the Mikhail Arteta, and I'm going to call it explosion, um, midway through that first half, when uh, Mane committed uh, what I would say was a fairly standard, nondescript elbowy foul, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a horrendous challenge. Um, and Arteta went berserk about it, and then um, Klopp went berserk. That whole incident, half the people, that I seem to follow on Twitter, seem to think that was the catalyst for 
Liverpool's crowd to get much more excited because we kept them quiet, fairly quiet up until that point. Um, and half the people saying, no, don't be stupid, it's nothing to do with that. And pe- people loving the fact that Arteta got so angry with Klopp, you know, showing that he's a feisty, you know, Arsenal man through and through and that he's, you know, he was well into it, all of that. My feeling is, for what it's worth, that I, I do think, I think he went weirdly, weirdly demented about it for a long period of time, Arteta, like... I was watching it with my mate who's best mate who's a Liverpool fan and we could not fathom what he was getting so furious about. It was weird. Right. And it went on a quite a long time, um, mainly from his end. I mean, Klopp joined in a bit, but he went he got, and he had to be held back, you know, like by multiple people. And I did get the sense immediately. And we both said, me and my mate, who's Liverpool fan, said, oh, that's riling the crowd up. And, you know, and up until that point, it had been fairly even. And we, you know, we've had some shots to say, etc. So I do feel it changed, changed the, the, the state of the game a bit. Even though obviously the goal came from a free kick, blah blah blah. We'll talk about that. But what do you guys reckon? Do you think am I am I being simplistic in thinking that 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 moment was a big catalyst in the game? I think it did have an impact. And, and the best judgment of the people that were there, and I spoke to a couple of fans, even in the Arsenal away end, who. It felt it was noticeable. And even on the commentary, it was Jamie Carragher, mm. wasn't it? And, you know, he, he referenced it, you know, very, very quickly. I think almost, you know, could see it coming, you know, about the, not flatness around the stadium, but the difference that came after it. And Klopp turned it into a much bigger thing than it was. I think you you often can see that. An opposition manager who's coming to Anfield, just, you know, going to appeal for everything. Could have looked around at Arteta and thought, what are you appealing for? The referee hasn't given anything and just made nothing more of it. The fact that he went over and turned it into like, how dare you appeal for something that that wasn't there? Um, and the fact that it did get like semi, you know, uh, you know, an altercation of, of sorts, albeit of mm. course they were they were held back. There was a little, you know, a bit of pushing and shoving, and whatnot. A hundred percent, it made a difference. It, it you know, g'd up the crowd and. Um, you know, it's a stereotype, isn't it, to talk about Anfield and the 12th man. But, it, you know, if anything, it seemed to click the players into gear. Liverpool stepped it up a level yeah. um, and it made and it made a difference. So, look, I suspect we didn't have enough quality on the day. It was encouraging in parts for that first half an hour. I agree, I agree totally with Trev. I think the way we felt after Man City was a hell of a lot worse, even though there was only one goal in mm. between a 5-0 and a 4-0. And of course, a huge amount of that goes into the fact of the run and form. We come into this and you know what, it's okay. We can go lose at Anfield and we're not, you know, at the bottom of the table and everything that goes with it. So, yeah, I think it did make a, a difference. And I think that, you know, you, you can understand why, you know, Klopp kind of, you know, was trying to, make it into a, a bigger thing than it was. And it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible foul or anything like that. And uh, no. there was nothing in it. It was a sta- it was a standard foul, Trevor, wasn't it? Nothing like, and um, it did seem to be Arteta that went bonkers about it rather, in a rather over the top way. And then Klopp's explanation afterwards was that, I think it was in against Real Madrid, was it? In the, in the, in, in the um, Champions League that they tried to get, Mane sent him off and they had to take him off, blah, 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 blah. So that was kind of, obviously, I don't know how, I was supposed to know that, you know, how remember that. Anyway, what did you make of the whole incident? Do you think it contributed to the to the atmosphere suddenly getting red hot and, and, and Liverpool kind of suddenly stepping up a bit? I do, actually, because even, you know, just after that and before the goal, they suddenly found another gear. Liverpool. They were all over us. They made several chances. Ramsdale made some very good saves. 
I certainly don't think that that incident warranted the reaction that Arteta gave it. Actually, I thought the funniest thing listening to the commentary on Sky was when, you know, Arteta was kind of being pulled away by a couple of the Arsenal staff and Carragher said, please pull me away. Like, you know, like you didn't really want to get involved with with Yes. Um, but I mean, to be honest, the only the only thing I, there's only two reasons why Arteta reacted that way. One is he just completely misinterpreted it and thought it was a shocking challenge when it clearly wasn't. And the other is is exactly what you said to try and influence the referee to get a, a card out, preferably a red one, obviously from his from Arteta's point of view. But no, it it, it certainly didn't warrant that reaction. It wasn't a particularly bad foul. I think it did change the atmosphere. It got the crowd riled up. It reminded me, do you remember the incident at Chelsea a few years ago when, when Wenger and Mourinho had a bit of a spat on the touch? Yeah. And the same thing, the same thing happened. And I, I just, it's, you know, unless something absolute, unless there's like a, you know, an absolutely horrendous challenge, I don't think managers should do that. I don't actually think it sets a particularly good example for the players. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, it was Atletico Madrid, by the way, where um, Klopp had to sub off Mane because they were trying to get him sent off. Um, I, I mean, I, I, do you know what? To be honest with you, I found it very entertaining. On one level, yeah, yeah, I, can't, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I can't. You know, I can't pretend that. Um, I, you know, it's part of the joy of football, isn't it? These things. I mean, it, we're, talk, we're going to talk about the Wenger film later because because um, uh, Josh has now seen it. And I've seen it. You haven't a chance to see it yet, Trevor. Um, I haven't seen it. I've seen some no, clips, okay. and that right. was enough to persuade me to go and see yeah. it as soon as I can. Right. Well, some, you know, they talk a lot about in that film, you know, about the confrontations between Wenger and, and Ferguson and other, other, you know, the other brilliant com- confrontations in history with Arsenal and my new players. And that was part of the joy of that period was when we used to get dramatic, over-the-top, you know, um, melodrama um, during games with managers and players losing it. So I, I wonder if I was mightily entertained by Arteta losing it and the whole thing and Klopp and being held back and Carragher being funny about it. But that doesn't mean, and I think it is part of the joy of football when these things happen. And I, and I also, I do think sometimes it, it um, Jack, Jack on, uh, on um, the commentary, uh, well, Jack Wilshire, the pundit was saying, you know, oh, he used to get, he used to like it when his manager used to kind of get carried away and it would rile him up as a player. So ter- bearing all of that in mind, I just think, I just think, you know, looking back on it with, with hindsight, it would it might have been better if Arteta had just calmed down quicker and faster and not carried on getting so carried away and then Liverpool might not have. But, you know, this is all part of history. What did you think, more, perhaps more pertinently, Trevor, the goal itself, this free kick, they looked at, they took quite a long time analysing it on TV and Gabriel, but they were quite critical of Gabriel, kind of his positioning, etc. But I, I think the goalkeeper should have got it. And I was slightly, I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love um, Ramsdale. You know, he's already an Arsenal folk hero. And some of the saves he made in the game up to that point were fantastic. But I slightly, am, am I being too harsh in saying he could have got that, should have saved that maybe? I think that is a bit harsh. And okay. I remember, I remember, you know, many years ago when I played at not the same level, obviously a half decent level. And I was a sweeper. And the, the hardest free kick to defend is that kind of a free kick. The one that kind of comes mm. over the defender's shoulder. The only thing I, I and I'm, I'm not sure if they mentioned it on the analysis, because I didn't watch all of the analysis because I was so, I was so pissed off with the whole thing. Right. But maybe we could, we, I thought we were maybe defending a little bit, our line was a bit too deep. If our line, because I think it was a fair way out. If our line had been a bit higher up, then it would have been, it's much harder for the the free kick taker to to 
place it where he did. And there's, it's harder for anyone coming in to head it because they're further away. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a brilliant free kick, but you couldn't have, you could not have delivered that ball any better. It's always easier for strikers when they're running onto it than a defender trying to run back with them. But it was just annoying that, you know, having survived a bit of a blitz from Liverpool just before that. And as you say, yeah. our keepers made some top class saves then to concede a goal from a free kick is always disappointing. But I, that, that wasn't the worst thing about the game for me. I could almost accept that. It was just what happened afterwards that the second yeah. half was really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Josh, because the first half, I think, I think you know, even, even, I mean, that goal, you know, you can, you can, you can criticise the positioning and the line. I think people did on, on, on the Sky coverage of it. But that wasn't the end of the world. It's true, was it? I think, we, you know, we, I, I was still fairly hopeful at half-time. That, that 10 minutes at the start of the second half was about as bad a performance as, as yeah. you can give. And it was, it seemed contagious, the giving away the ball. I mean, every every single one of them, more or less, made pretty basic errors. Tommy Asu, uh, White, we even saw in the first half where, okay, you might get away in previous games with dancing yeah. 30 yards forward, but yeah. Liverpool were kind of setting a trap and desperately hoping you did it and bang, did you fall into it yeah. and they picked the ball off and had dangerous situations uh, in Gabriel. And then, of course, you know, Tavares and so too, you know, Lukonga and, and Party had moments where, where they really carelessly gave the ball away. And unfortunately, if there is a team you don't want to do that against, it's probably Liverpool at Anfield. So... Yeah, the it Ben was, White. It was bit, just disappointing. Ben, it was yeah, disappointing because White, you, you can get beat. You can get beat out and feel yeah. from, but just don't, don't hand it over on a on yeah. a plate. Because actually, I only when watching the highlights back again after the game, do you realise how many very good saves Ramsdale made, and how actually yeah. it wasn't that far off being a embarrassing scoreline. But didn't you didn't you think didn't you think both of you that that Nuno Tavares error that was an accident waiting to happen. There were there were several incidents in the first half and early in the second where we nearly yeah. gave it away playing sort of tippy tappy football at the edge of our own box. And at yeah, some yeah. point we were going to get caught, weren't we? What was weird, you're right, and what was slightly weird I thought was that in recent games, in fact for quite a while now, we've been very um we've we've varied it a lot in, in terms of how we how we um, start an attack, you know, when we've got the ball, when, when the goalkeeper's got the ball. And I thought, weirdly, they seem more obsessed with playing it out from the back in this game, where Liverpool have the ult- the ultimate pressing team and they do an absolutely brilliant job, as we saw, particularly in the second half. Whereas, I think for the last few months, like, um, you know, we've done a lot of, a lot of times Ramsdale's just kicked it out. I remember games where we've hardly played it out from the back at all. You know, and we've been, you know, and so it was weird that we suddenly decided uh, we're definitely doing that. And then, but then there were a couple of occasions when it got a bit obvious that, that they were going to catch us out, and then he did kick it long. But it was weird. And my friend, my Liverpool sporting friend, who, I, who again could not believe the Ben White moment because Ben White has been doing that, you know, once or twice every game. And we, and, and you know, we can love it for him when he's doing it against. I don't know, whoever, Crystal Palace or whatever. But I did see, my mate was like incredulous that he thought he could advance with the ball against mm. Liverpool in the middle of the pitch and not have a particularly obvious out ball either and mm. still carry on with it. And then, you know, it was sort of like stunned and amazed when, when he was robbed of the ball and they, nearly, and they nearly had a chance immediately after. So that was a bit naive, wasn't it? Totally. I actually, I mean, I agree with you. And he looks a different player now to that horrendous debut he had um, a oh, yeah. on the yeah. early day of the season. I actually think 
you know, and yes, he still makes mistakes. And, and Gabriel, as you said, was was criticised for the for the freak. I, I think maybe a tad harshly, but at least those two now. There's a kind of a semblance of a partnership at the heart of the defence, and that is absolutely critical if you're going to have any success as a football team. You have to have two centre halves. And go back to Adams yeah. and Bold, you go back to McClintock and Simpson and whatever. Um, so I, I kind of give him a, a little bit of leeway still. And I, I kind of, there's a part of me that quite likes the fact that he's a footballing centre half. You know, he's not, he's yeah. not someone oh, yeah. who's just going to thump it up the pitch and, and win headers. Um, but And I think he's obviously still learning, as many of them are. The one thing I was going to mention to you guys, and, and obviously we've spoken about the Tavares era. Were you not a bit surprised that, that Tierney was was only on the bench when he was presumably fit? I, I wasn't surprised purely in terms of I think I think Arteta, this was a case of sticking with the player who's who's done pretty well, Tavares, you know, in 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 his absence. And it would have been I I wasn't surprised that he he stuck with Tavares. And I think I mean in in retrospect, you think oh you should have played Tierney, sure, you know, against Liverpool. What what was he thinking? But. Tavares has done well. I think we've all been surprised by just how well he's done. I think it would have felt a bit, a bit harsh to drop him, maybe, generally. I think that's what Arteta was thinking. What did you think, uh, Josh? I personally would have liked to have seen Tierney back in there, but I expected oh, sure. that he would stick with Tavares. I think it sends a message to the whole squad, doesn't it? I mean, we've seen it with Lacazette, sort of go and take an opportunity, play well, and you will get yeah. your opportunity. And I think maybe you're just thinking, well, what, what's the message to the squad here? If I've got someone who who gets an opportunity, plays really well, and then I pull them out of the team. And, I, you know, in, in that respect, I think it, it makes sense to to do so. But there is surely an, an inevitability about who plays on Saturday coming. You, you assume that this kind of defeat actually gives him a chance to shuffle the pack and not only... Oh, yeah. Any, but I mean- you, you can imagine that actually... You know, is it a game where Odegaard or Pepe? I, I think something gives uh, at the top end of the pitch. I don't think he just sort of goes goes again. Maybe even it's bringing out Lukonga for a game and you know putting in Elneny or, or Maitland Niles. So I, I think there will be changes for for Newcastle on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I've been an advocate. I've been saying I think you know once we hit upon this this formation and this roughly this team, I've been saying you know for weeks that he had to stick with it. So I can't contradict myself, and I, and I actually hope he doesn't change it too much against Newcastle. I think, I think, you know, it might actually just be a case of bringing Tierney in, you know, in that position um, and, you know, sticking roughly with that lineup because that lineup served us really well until, until Liverpool. But I, well, I want to take a quick break, but I want, there's one player in particular I want us to discuss. Can you guess which player that is, Josh? From Arsenal's team who played yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. Which player I feel deserves, needs to be discussed in terms of, Way Costas, what he's been doing, is he re- is he slightly really actually disappointing? Maybe who am I thinking of? No, is it Partey? It is. Well done. Yes, I want to talk about Partey. I'm afraid, um, but we'll take a quick break first. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. 
from dope 250 watt city bikes to Harley Bobber inspired 750 watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the break. Yeah, um, Thomas Party. I, I mean, it's, I, know, I don't want to think about I mean, I am singling him out, but I'm singling him out because, um, I mean, he was coming back from injury. And um, you might wonder whether, you know, it was right to play him in this really, really important game against this really brilliant team. Um, although we should mention, of course, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was playing for them. and, and there are some who consider Alex Oxford Chamberlain, many Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans, to have been not that great and you know, blah, blah. But so, I mean, it wasn't they weren't they weren't entirely at full strength, um, Liverpool, particularly in midfield, one might say. But anyway, I thought that um Party had a not had a poor game. And I do think he has there's been a, there's been quite a few big games where he's been asked to, you know, kind of match up big, big teams with 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 big, powerful, athletic midfielders, and he hasn't come through. And I'm a bit worried about him from that point of view. Am I being slightly unfair? No, I think you're being completely fair, actually, Boyd. I, I thought exactly the same when I watched the match. The kind of game where you need your big-name players to turn up. I, I expected him to protect the back four far more than he did. He was kind of being just run over in in, in midfield, I thought. Um, obviously, he didn't offer anything going forward because we didn't go forward that much. But certainly, in terms of defense, his defensive duties as a midfielder, which that they were his, that was the main responsibility he had at Anfield. Yeah, he looked. I don't know if he looked slightly unfit or if he just looked yeah. a little kind of overwhelmed by the whole sort of experience of playing away at Liverpool. But whatever it was, I, I totally agree. He was way below par, way below. Mm. Yeah, he's not the most. Um... Josh, he's not the most inspiring of figures, is he? And, I, I, and you know, I don't. Not, not everyone can be, but I feel like he seems a bit lost at sometimes in games and in big games. And this was definitely one of those occasions um, where he seemed lost to me. Yeah, you do. You do get the feeling that he hasn't quite settled into a great rhythm and then being part of this sort of Arsenal side. And I think injury, you know, does that to you. Yeah. Those three yeah. years coming in from Atletico Madrid, he, he played the vast majority of games, like well over 30 of the league games in, in every season. And suddenly it comes to Arsenal and the sort of, you know, what, what we used to feel was some kind of old curse of players that would come to Arsenal and pick up injuries, you know, tr- transpired. I mean, this year, I think we're lucky, aren't we, that Lukonga's um, emergence has, has been quicker than most people, you know, imagined and, and he's settled yeah. well because, you know, without Xhaka, then there's a lot of, sort of pressure on that area of the pitch, even though El Elneny, Maitland-Niles, I guess, sort of squad players that are, you know, going to get some opportunities. I mean, with, with, with Party, there was, you know, an, an incredible amount of hype and you, you still feel that if he can get just 
you know, a dozen, 15 games in a row, you know, with, without injury, he, he is going to get selected. And th- there were a couple of nice moments. I mean, he, he did have probably our best effort of the second yeah, half, he did. possibly. I mean, Aubameyang had yeah. a... Well, Aubameyang had a really decent opportunity, actually, on, on Lacazette's yeah. pass. And you just thought, well, you know, he could have had a glimmer of hope in, in the game. So, I don't know. I just felt Liverpool were just all over Arsenal like a rash on Saturday. And I don't know, it's difficult to draw too much of a conclusion. Um, but certainly have we seen, you know, I think for so many years we've spoken about who fills that hole of a Vieira and a Gilberto Silva. And there's been a lot of candidates over the years. And I think we all hope that finally 50 million pounds was going to get us the answer and hasn't happened quite yet, but there's been, there's been, you're not giving up on him yet, surely. I'm not giving up on him at all. And, and look, to be honest, Vieira is, is a unique figure in football history. There's, there's like about a handful of, of complete midfielders like him, Roy Keane, you know, you know that we're never going to get another Vieira. And I'm not, I'm not expecting um, him to be another Vieira. I just kind of like him to more be competitive with Fabinho, you know, and Thiago and, and Oxley Chamberlain, you know, on, on um, Saturday. That's all I mean. And I think considering we paid what, 40 million for him, um, and he came with a reputation. I think we all imagined what he'd be like. And in some games, he has been like that. I remember his debut, he was phenomenal. He seemed absolutely everywhere and kind of controlling the midfield. And he seemed to have it all in that game. And then I thought he kind of instantly tailed off a bit. And so I just wonder, I'm just thinking, I don't know. I, I just thought that performance against Liverpool, I almost think if he'd have stuck with Ainsley, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, Arteta, yeah. it might have been actually better in this in this particular game. Well, um, so I, I'm, not, of, I'm not writing him off. He's one no. of these players we, we are going to lose, aren't we, for the uh, Africa right. Cup of yeah, Nations, which uh, very much like Euro 2020 taking place in 21, is still remaining cool in the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations, which will be a little bit confusing because it takes place in in January uh, to February. Are you, are you doing any work on that, Trev? Any commentary work? Not, not, not at the moment. I've got a couple of other things on in January, but um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be interesting actually when he's not there to see exactly how we play without him. I, I mean, you might get a situation where some of the other players step up a little bit, um, and then you know it asks questions of him before when he comes back. If he suddenly thinks well, I've got to struggle to get back in the team here, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see mm. actually. I mean, the Shaka point we have to we have to. Um, Josh, I think mentioned it. You know, is he missing Shaka? And you know, I think we've coped without Shaka pretty well, haven't we? In this run, it's been one yeah. of the kind of side, one of the most refreshing aspects of it all as a kind of side issue is that you know we haven't had to worry even think about Shaka, who you know whatever you think about him actually at least his experience some often shines through in some games obviously he's equally capable of being a complete bell in the gate sent off and all that we know we know we all know what, what, what the story of Xhaka but this period without him while he's been injured and while we've been winning or going unbeaten has been kind of great but now after that game yesterday you know I almost feel again well actually is is you know are we better is party particularly better with Xhaka than, you know, a, a, a Lukonga or whatever. I, I think Xhaka will be straight back into this team as soon as he's, of course. As soon as of he, course. As soon as he's fit. And, and I mean, the good news is that he seemingly is, is going to be back a bit sooner than first expected because it, it was the North London derby where he went off and slightly soured what was otherwise an amazing day. And at the time, it did seem to be quite a sort of solid three-month prediction. But, you know, if he's back in, back yeah. in training, it feels like... You know, there's going to yeah. be at least a couple of weeks shaved off that. 
I, I, look, he divides opinion, you know, so much. Probably more more than any other player that we have at the club. Would you say? Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, t- I tell you um, what, though, I, I would have been interested to see what his reaction would have been after the yeah. Arteta thing on the touchline. So, ten yeah. minutes for the next ten minutes, he'd have been absolutely flying around, even more mentally than he usually does. Yeah. <laughs> probably, you're probably right. Let's just before we finish talking about the game, do you think? I mean, it's it's one of those situations. I mean, Liverpool are. I think this game shows how absolutely brilliant, what a machine Liverpool are when they when they get their act together, which they completely did in the second half. They are formidable, aren't they? They're so good at pressing, and we just couldn't. It was it was. You know, it was almost excruciating the different the, the difference in level between the two teams, and there and you know, and you look at them and you go, well, this this basically their core team, particularly the forwards. You know, um, apart from Jota, who's a really, relatively recent signing, but they've been playing together, haven't they, for years and years and years. The manager's been schooling them in every element of their pressing for years and years and years, and we and our team just looked like a team that wasn't didn't know how to deal with any of that and were just sucked into all their tricks into all their games and so my this long-winded question is you know is there anything really do we go oh the game showed that we haven't progressed that much actually um or because we still lost 4-0 or does it or do you think well this is one of the best teams in the world definitely europe definitely in this country and what do we expect well, I'd say a couple of things quickly. Actually, mm. I think it was a bad time to play Liverpool. They were still yeah. smarting from their defeat to West Ham. Thank you, West Ham. Invincible Day came early this season. but <laughs> And they weren't able to get straight back on the horse because there was the international break. So it was like two weeks of pent-up frustration. So I think it was unfortunate, um, the timing of the match. But that doesn't excuse our second-half performance. I think we are obviously in a better place than we were at the start of the season. Um, I think a lot has changed since August, but not to the extent where we can go to Anfield and be genuinely competitive against, you know, one of the title favourites. Yeah, and yeah, I, I agree with that. And yet, Josh, you know, other teams have been, you know, I don't know, the likes of Brighton or whatever, are perfectly capable of of kind of matching Liverpool. You know, they have, they have, have as, as, you know... As Trevor's saying, you know, we, we played them at a bad time because they've had some disappointing results. So, but what do you think? Do you think we shouldn't take too much from this? Do you think it's a blip? We're still fifth, you know, we still, we've got, you know, we've got Newcastle, Man U to come. You're still relatively optimistic about your, uh, about finishing the top 10 slash top six? Uh, top, top 10 is, a, is the given. Now, I, know. Like we, I know. We have to be honest. And we, yeah, we should, I, I think... I don't know. I, I, I cannot remember feeling as indifferent to a 4 0 defeat within a couple of minutes mm. of the game finishing. And I, I don't think that's just purely, you know, ind- indifference to, to Arsenal or to the club or to the season. I just think that is an acceptance to go, do you know what? They've been on a, a really good run of, of managing to, to go unbeaten. I mean, it, it was Tommy Yasu's first defeat for the club, wasn't it? Because he only came in um, wow. after that City, uh, City mess. So just think you, you look look around at that pitch and think well would any of our players get in their team I, I don't know like it, it's so hard but like they, they are mm-hmm. streets ahead there are three teams as Trev said at the top of the podcast that are that far ahead and all is forgiven come if they come back and beat Newcastle you know you you, you take it yeah. you, you take three points from from those two games and there's a reality I think maybe I allowed myself to get in that camp of supporter just thinking oh we're in great form and Liverpool have lost maybe we can go up there and get a draw I mean we've gone up there for 
what was it, eight, nine years since we last won 2012 when, I, when Arteta was part of the team. I have seen us lose at Anfield so many times. I decided not to yeah. make the trip to Anfield. I decided I'll go up to Old Trafford with some friends um, a week a week Thursday instead. Wise, because wise. I suspect that may be a more enjoyable evening than um, than those who travel to Anfield would be. So, yeah, not too despondent, but it you know massive massive game on mm. Saturday. Is Eddie Howe going to be in the dugout? Is his COVID business going to last until Saturday? I assume so. Oh, he can't, can't go on that much longer, can it? I mean, he must, I think it's going to be all right. But, I mean, Newcastle are literally bottom of the league. I mean, that is, that is extraordinary, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, and the man you, I mean, fucking typical. I'm absolutely furious with Watford for screwing that four goal. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously, Trevor, if that had been just a mere 2-1, if that had been like a 2-1 loss, then it would not have sacked, um, sacked him, like, would they yet? But it was 4-1. It was too one, much. Yeah, if it had been 2-1 with a controversial penalty late yeah. on for Watford, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, wor- he- you're, wor- you're worried that we're going to be the visitors for the coronation of whoever. Yes, yes. Gonna, I mean, there's gonna- talk- <laughs> Let's talk of Pochettino now. He's going to walk out on PSG and blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, fuck that. I, you know, honestly... <laughs> My, I was clinging to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being the least charismatic and impressive, you know, coach of a major football team. And and now that's gone. And I just think even whoever, that, I mean, the whole thing is extraordinary that they're going for an interim manager anyway. I mean, that is fucking unbelievable. It's like worse run football clubs than ours. It's, it's amazing. But, um, but I just feel whoever it's going to be, they're going to rile them up more than they would have been under the incredibly ineffectual um, Solskjaer. So yeah, I'm slightly worried, annoyed about, I'm very worried, annoyed about that. But um, uh in general, like, have you have you tempered your, you know, after after the controversial top ten chat of of uh, earlier in the season? <laughs> I mean, where do you feel now? I think now we're looking at this huge battle for the top six slash, uh, and, and we could even make four, depending on particularly depending on the Man United situation. But the other, and of course, Spurs have got a really good manager now as well. That's the other slight disturbing thing, and he clearly had a massive go of them at half time mm. um, mm. on Sunday, and they completely turned it around in the second half. So all these things are, um, are adding up, aren't they? Where do you? Where, what's your feeling now about where you think Arsenal are going to going to end well, up? Well, look, I mean, as I said at the start, I, I think we have an opportunity to finish fourth. I also think, and this is maybe slightly controversial, I really don't want to finish fifth, sixth, and or certainly not seventh to be in the ridiculous competition that Spurs are in this season. I think it's actually helped Arteta that we're not in the Europa League, that he doesn't have the Thursday football. I don't want Thursday football back next season. I really don't. I'd rather, I want to finish fourth, but if we can't finish fourth, I'd rather finish eighth. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think it's a massive burden playing that Europa League. I really do. Jamie Carragher said that in in the in the commentary um, that you know he was like it's a, it's a real conundrum for us because on the one hand you know finishing fourth would be amazing and it's you know is it wouldn't have been even realistic you know a, a couple of months ago or even a month mm. ago maybe but now feels like attainable because of the Man United implosion. But you're right. I think you're right. Jeff Carragher was saying, and I agree with with both of you that you then you're then in a situation where you're in the Europa or even that whatever the other the other the pre-Europa and it is a bit of a nightmare it's a hellish nightmare yeah I, I mean I totally I kind of concur with that completely um Josh what do you I mean are we getting carried away about this fourth business because many many nights no, happening we're Incredible. not getting we are not we are not getting carried away I mean we are rightfully second favorites in that market for, for top four yeah, oh, behind Manchester yeah. United of, of course okay. and United are you know have still got the very impressive squad and you 
you imagine that things might stabilise, although we desperately hope not. So the fact that we are second favourites in, in that market has got to give you every opportunity, but it's so tight. I mean, it, I, I think it'll be incredibly um, exciting, I guess, towards the very end of the season, you know, who's going to come fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, um, eighth. I'm sure it will go down to those sort of final games at the end of the season. So, I don't know. I, two years without Europe would probably be a scary thought for the club. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I wonder if you sort of offered the club, you know, the hierarchy and the fifth now. I wonder. I really wonder what the, what their answer would be if they would sort of snap your hand off and go, yep, please, we need some European football. We need some more match day revenue. Thanks a lot. Oh, I'm sure they would. Yeah. yeah I'm I'll, sure. Tell you, I'll tell you what, On the playing ability, of course, you know, massive yeah. opportunity, you know, this year. I think we've got a real chance to put down a marker, though, to get that fourth place between now and Christmas. Looking at the fixtures, you mentioned Newcastle, who can't win a game for love nor money. The United game, I, I kind of agree with Boyd, but let's see what happens. Then we're at Everton, home to Southampton, home to West Ham. OK, they're playing well. Away at Leeds, who aren't any great shakes at the moment. Um, and Norwich on Boxing Day with that Sunderland League Cup tie in the middle. So uh, there's every chance. We, we've got a great chance here to, to, to stack up a load of points between now and Christmas. And really mm. put the pressure yeah, on United and Spurs. It's such a cliche, isn't it? You're right, but that, the, the the next two games particularly are such a will reveal a lot when we how we recover from the Liverpool defeat. Absolutely. In, in the betting I'm looking at, by the way, Josh, West Ham are ahead of us. Um, we've got Man United and West Ham ahead of us. Um, actually, in the betting I'm looking at, so. Oh. We've kind of well, there are there are different different bookmakers, yeah. different prices. I mean, yeah, of course, it's a similar price. Arsenal. No, I where, where I'm looking. I don't know where you're looking, but Arsenal general sort of three to one to come in the top okay. four. Um, West yeah. Ham are as low as three to one in places, but as high as five to one uh, places like Betfair for those. And what are Spurs? What are Spurs, Josh? What price well, in the middle, four to one generally yeah. across the board, yeah. nine to two in places. So yeah, it worries yeah. it worries me then with Conte. That, that does worry me. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a he's a formidable figure, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Um, and I and I still think, you know, I've been saying this for a while that as good as that run was that we were on until until Liverpool, I still think maybe the the, the real difference that's going to get this team to the next level is the manager. He's getting a, a, an obviously outstanding manager, but and, there aren't uh, that many available. As Man United are, are, are finding out um, right now. Let's talk, Josh, about the, the film because Arsene Wenger Invincible, which I went to the premiere of. And had an absolutely amazing. Well, night, you were spotted by all sorts of people sending me photos, going, "Is that boy <laughs> in the background of Wenger being on TV?" I was you on were TV? everywhere. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It was. Um, it was two events in yeah. two days. We should say. Yeah, yeah, because it was yeah because we had the ch- the brilliant Dermot hosted um, uh, charity event at the Palladium, which was also t- on TV. That was on BT Sport. In the end. Did you watch that back? Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Um, yeah, and then the the premiere, the new Finsbury Park picture house, which I have to say is a lovely um, new venue, cinema. If, if Finsbury Parkers want to go there, they should support it. Well, I, I didn't go to the premiere with you, but I did go to Finsbury Park picture house to see it um, last week. And I know Trevor's only only seen the trailer and wants to go see it, but uh, for everyone, I think it's only on a, a few more days in, in certain places. Well, it's... For those, yeah, it's out today on on home video, so you can get you can get it today sure. on DVD, Blu-ray, and you can, you can cinematic sure. experience. Oh, I think there's only a few more days to do that in a few of the sort of picture yeah. houses in that same group. I I really enjoyed it. I was sad I wasn't at the the premiere. How was the Q and A after? 
The Q&A after, hosted by my friend Jason Solomons, um, was fantastic, I have to say. It was really good because um, that, uh, I just thought Wenger particularly was in quite a kind of um, very relaxed, jovial form. Um, it was really, he was he was great. I thought he was on really good form. Um, and I got to ask the question as well. So um, I think because I know, I asked. So um, as you may have seen in the trailer, even actually, Trevor, that w- one of the best things about the whole film is Alex Ferguson's in it um, and talking yeah. very, in an in incredibly complimentary way about not only Arsenal, but also um, Arsenal and the, particularly the achievement of, of, of going unbeaten of the Invincibles and saying, and he basically says right at the end of the documentary, they clearly keep this moment back because, because it's such a, such a, such a, extraordinary thing to see him say he says it was like the ultimate achievement going going unbeaten for one is, is absolutely extraordinary and the ultimate achievement um, um, may not be the exact word so i i asked arsene wenger if he was surprised that ferguson was so you know was quite so complimentary about him and about that achievement and he kind of said he was i think i think his reply was yeah it was pretty amazing for him to see you know ferguson being so effusive in his praise and being so um, absolutely in awe, effectively, of the achievement of going unbeaten in the season. I thought that was, you know, for me, the whole that is the moment of the whole film, and and I, and I was thrilled that you know Wenger could Wenger was genuinely surprised about about um, Ferguson's reaction to the whole thing. So yeah, it was it was. That's fascinating because I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I recall after that season, um, quite soon after the end of that unbeaten season that Ferguson was asked about it and he came out with some pithy comment about, oh, they drew too many games. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure he yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That may even be in the film. I can't remember whether that's in the film or not. I think it might be. So but you're absolutely changed. Yeah. So, so yeah. basically it was a wind up and now, yeah. you know, 20 odd years or just under 20 years on, he's kind of seeing it for the achievement that it really was. Yeah, exactly. Which is what makes yeah. it so such a, such a kind of um, powerful Powerful moment, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And and and, and um, I think that one of the triumphs of the film actually is showing that all the things that uh, Ferguson said at the time were so outright. I mean, he he at one point he goes, um, well, Arsenal doesn't know anything about English football. You know, kind of, yeah. comes out with these things, and um, Wenger's watching them chuckling away. You know, it's great. They 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 show Wenger watching um, right. watching stuff back on this huge screen that they filmed him in this warehouse and he, and he finds it very amusing and very funny. And, they, and he said they have become proper friends, you know, since, since it stopped mattering, since it stopped mattering to both of them and they both stopped, didn't need to hate each other anymore. They've become really good friends. It's, it's a fascinating thing. I'd like to see a documentary just on that, you know, just on the Vegan Ferguson. Um, well, they both, they both gave very, they go, both gave very gushing um, kind of uh, yeah. compliments to each other when they, when they retired, didn't they? When they, ended their yeah. tenure with their respective clubs. Personally, it, it was all very nice and lovely, but I, I, I much preferred it when they were chucking pizzas at each other. It was much more oh, yeah. entertaining. Oh, completely. Yeah, it was spectacularly <laughs> insanely, wasn't it? Yeah, but Josh, it's a good, it's a good, what did you think of the film? It's really kind of well made, isn't it? It's kind of, um, I think they do a really good job. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, my overriding emotion leaving the cinema was one of pride and of Mm. The lie that I was able to go so regularly dur- during that period, and yeah, when you when you're younger, probably, and I don't say this to talk about the the age difference between us, boy, but being, um, I don't know, when Wenger came, I would have been, you know, how old? nine, um, you know, when he left a few years ago, you know, basically early thirties. To to have that 
as my upbringing just made me feel that I was incredibly fortunate to think back to those memories of, of traveling around the country and you know two years in a row basically we went unbeaten on on the road and t- to get that 49 un- unbeaten run and you probably of course appreciate it even more for you know <laughs> going anywhere now and just being glad to to see a win and it you know feel, feels great and forgetting just how absolutely standard that felt for such a number of years under him so yeah just just feel such sort of pride in the the love and uh uh dedication he he gave to the club and i i applaud the film for not ignoring the latter period yeah. you know a number absolutely. of the former players did yeah. effectively comment and say yeah. He probably went on too long, but um, it was dealt with in the right way and, you know, sensitively and appropriately. Just just one quick thing on the unbeaten run, boys, sorry. That yeah. We all, as Arsenal supporters, when that final whistle went at West Ham the other, the other week and Liverpool was lost, we yeah. get that massive, wonderful, glowing feeling, don't we? we? And we'll get it every single season, touch wood, when, when, when no other team goes unbeaten. And other... Supporters of other teams hate the fact that we keep bringing this up. Yeah. And that makes it yeah. even better, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the unique... That people often ask the hoary question, the hoary old question that people always ask is, would you rather have gone unbeaten in the season or to have won the treble, to have won the Champions League? Or in Arsenal's case, even just to win the Champions League because we never won the Champions League or the European Cup. And I think, well... And after, I almost changed my mind after because I, I, I really pissed off the fact that we never won the champ, won the Champions League or hadn't. Yeah, we didn't under on the Wenger win it. We obviously got to the final, etc. And that actually, the whole final situation is one of his big regrets. He talks about that. But having watched the documentary in the Ferguson, as I keep banging on about the uniqueness of of that achievement, stands up, makes it feel like it's something different and special isn't it it's like you know someone has to win I mean you know the fact that fucking Chelsea won the European Cup last Champions League last year puts into perspective doesn't it I mean no one's going to claim Chelsea of 2020 was the greatest team in Europe nowhere near and yet they won you know they they just put the run together to win a cup so I now I've kind of I kind of now feel well it was a much but great achievement you know no one it's it's, it's an achievement that almost in, in probability will never ever be repeated um, well, certainly, you know, it looks like it's very, very, very difficult to have to repeat it. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, I agree. I think it. I think it. I think this film particularly underlines that very, very well. Um, I guess we should uh, think about our predictions, Josh. I guess it's Saturday that time. or twelve thirty. Yeah, I, I could bang on about all the different people I met um, during the uh, premiere. I had a lovely chat with David Pleat, by the way, um, who was there. David Pleat, how lovely is this? David Pleat came along. Um, with a, his copy of Arsene's book, Arsene's disappointing book, for him to sign it. And he, came, and he went up to him and got him to sign it, which I thought was so sweet, so lovely. And did Wenger knew who he was, surely? Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I also had a brilliant chat with Pete. Mark Pugach was there. Mark Pugach was very kind. Oh, we love Mark. Yeah, uh, yeah Pugach, yeah. of this, latterly of this of this podcast, um, very kind. He does a few other me. things. He does, does some other things, yeah. Um, he introduced me to Pete. And um, I proceeded to ask him, of course, because Pleat was the pundit during the 1989 Arsenal and yes, Arsenal. He was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just asked him, like, briefly about it. And he went on brilliantly. He, he remembered, like, you know, he was, like, recycling his own commentary, you know, to me. Wasn't, was, that, like, the great, brilliant. Wasn't that the great line, Boyd, when um, you hear 
David Pleat say something like, uh, in, in the film I'm talking about now, yeah. um, you, you hear Pleat say something about, if Arsenal aren't to win the league, it would yes. somehow be you know good if, if they won 1-0. And um, Mark Strong goes, fuck off, Pleat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's what we discussed. Yeah, that's what right. I was like, I can't believe I said that. But Pleat did say something, yeah. And he recited the whole bit. The whole, did he? Like, it was like, yeah, it's a whole little mini speech, which came really late. So, I mean, literally like a few minutes, I think, or even, you know, before... Michael Thomas scored the goal. So that was lovely. That got him to talk me through that whole Any, experience. Go on. Anyone else, Boyd, you can name drop here? Um, Wrighty, I spoke to Ian, Ian Wright briefly. Oh. Um, just because Ian Wright I like, has a lovely bit in the film where he talks about how he, he called Venga Inspector Cluzo. Um, yes. Not just because he's French, but because he was a bit bumbling and a bit accident prone. Um, and there's a funny little bit in the film about that, where, the, where he talks, they, they, they literally show clips of Inspector Clouseau uh, with Peter <laughs> Sellers. And Vega's chuckling away. He thinks it's funny, you know, because he was a bit of a klutz. Like, he could tell he's a bit kind of like, um, uh, yeah, uh, there's a bit of slapstick there. So I, I, I said, I told him, right, I thought that was very funny. And he, he had a little chat. Um, those, and I got a picture taken absolutely shamelessly with Arteta, by the way. Um, I should, was that you know, before or after you admitted to him you had called for his head? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was after it was after um he was very sweet um he was lovely yeah so but i did feel i did immediately think of you you know having a go at me it's like me off for doing that um but you know i mean he's the Austin manager so you know i still i still in many ways love and admire him boy do you um, and i anyway, both know that next yes. time there's an arsenal foundation dinner and you you get yeah. an invite and arteta comes yeah. out you'll be sweet as pie and tell him you perhaps him from day one. Yeah, quite. Well, he's not listening to this realistically. So, you never okay. know. Maybe we'll... what are you doing ahead of a Newcastle game? Boy, are you looking forward to it? Lunchtime, 12 30? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a little breakfast slash. Oh, lovely. Hash browns. Yes. What do you got? Hash yeah. browns. Just it's a greasy cap. No, I think we're going to quite, I think we're going slightly on market for, for, I'm not, I'm not going to say the venue. Of course we get mopped. Of course you are. You're, you're going out market. You're going to have some salmon, some avocado. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be lovely. Oh, no, no, don't, okay. don't do avocado. No, don't do oh, avocado. Sorry. What do you think about that? I mean, Trev, what do you think about this game? Arsenal, Newcastle, Newcastle bottom. Look, if you can't be confident about beating Newcastle at home, uh, then when can you be? So uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say we'll get an early goal. Floodgates will open. Newcastle's uh, defensive frailties will uh, be evident to all and sundry. 4-0 Arsenal. Wow. Wow, I love it. Wow, that we'll be back, back where we were on the goal difference before the trip. Yeah. Back, to the back to zero. Back to zero. Back to zero, yeah. <laughs> That's the title might... of the podcast. I think we might hit four, but I think we were four-two. I'm going. I think there will be goals. I think Newcastle, you know, three-three on Saturday against Brentford, and I just think Arsenal are not good enough to keep a clean sheet at, at the moment. So uh, yeah, four-two to the Gunners. Wow, I love these bold predictions. I'm, I'll go. Um, I'm going to go three-one, three-one to Arsenal. Yeah, but it's a must-win, isn't it? It's an absolute must-win. Um, thanks so much, Trevor, as ever. Thanks. Um, Enjoyed it greatly. Just next Thank time you. you get me on, can you do it after we've won a game, please? Yeah, yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be lovely. We'll make sure. We'd at least just not lose a game by multiple goals. I mean, yeah, basically. that'll do. Yeah, yeah that'll do. Um, and thanks, Josh. And uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers, bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.